Genesis. We're working our way through Genesis now, morning services. We've been a couple of weeks away in Genesis 17. Two weeks ago we began looking at Genesis 17 and Abraham, this man whose name means exalted father, had spent 86 years of life not being a father at all, 86 years of life. And then finally he had a child through his wife's maidservant's concubine named Hagar. And over that 13 year period, the idea had grown in Abraham's mind that the promise that the Lord God had made to him and to make him a father of many nations would actually be fulfilled through Ishmael, who by the time we get to Genesis 17 is 13 years old. So here we have Abraham, the man who's now almost 100 years old, whose name means exalted father, high father, mighty father. And we spoke, didn't we, about the jokes that would be made about his name. How people would say, what's your name? How many children do you have, etc. In fact, some people would have joked to his face, but probably more likely behind his back. And then the Lord comes to him in Genesis 17, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to change your name from Abraham, which is exalted father, to Abraham, which is father of multitudes. And we talked about how Abraham must have felt when this announcement was made. And then God, last week we saw in verses 9 to 14, God gave Abraham a sign of his, to assure Abraham of his love and his purposes, that he, the Lord God, was indeed going to bring about the promises that he had made to him. But the Lord is not finished yet. The Lord wants to continue to reiterate and become more specific in the promises that Abraham has been given. So we'll read from verse 15 to 27. We'll pray before we read God's word, because it is sacred ground. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it resonates as loud today as when Moses wrote it. Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak well of our Saviour and Messiah, our Lord Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. So Genesis 17 and verse 15, and God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, for Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and more, moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear your son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. 
And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born into his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old. When he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those brought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And may God bless this reading of his eternal, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. God has given Abraham extraordinary promises starting in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord God made specific promises to Abraham. Abraham recalled him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. And he's given him protection even when Abraham sinned into his journey to Egypt in Genesis 12. The Lord protected Abraham and brought him out. The Lord gave Abraham victory in his battle with his enemies in Genesis 14. And the Lord literally cut a covenant with Abraham in order to assure him of the promises that he had made in Genesis 50. And the Lord appeared to Abraham on various occasions, numerous occasions, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, again Genesis 17. In other places he appeared to him, revealing himself to Abraham who was Abraham. He reminded him of his character in Genesis 17. He revisited his promises. He changed his name to Abraham in order to convince him of the certainty of the fulfilment of that promise. And then in Genesis 17, last time, we saw that God gave Abraham this covenant sign, coming to his own flesh to remind him again of the certainty of his promise. And now the Lord speaks again. And one thing that stands out loudly clear is that God is persistent in pursuing his people that they might have assurance of his covenant promises. That's the first point I want you to see as we study this passage this morning, that God is persistent in his quest for our assurance. What good news? How much we need assurance? And God is persistent in his quest for our assurance. And if we look at verses 15 and 16, we see God reiterating his promises of blessing to Abraham. And here Sarah's part is explicitly indicated. All along we have suspected that God had something for Sarah in this great covenant. That the Lord was not going to bypass her. And then even as Abraham was encouraged by the Lord's promises to him, and even as the Lord was wrong in the way his reproach by giving him a son, so also the Lord is going to bless Sarah. Sarah is going to be mother of the faithful, and the Lord makes that clear in verses 15 and 16. And as we read these verses, we learn that God is persistent in his quest for our assurance. I want you to take part from that this morning. That God is persistent in his quest for our assurance. 
Sarah is given a new name. Sarai is now to be called Sarah. They're both forms of the same name. I'm so glad I have Sarah here this morning. But one is an older and newer form of the name, which means princess or heroine. So, Sarah, your name is princess or heroine. And that means that Sarah is going to be a heroine of her people. And the renaming of Sarah was a marker just as it was with Abraham. Many cultures do this at different stages of life. We can even think of our royal family, you know, you know they, at various occasions of life, they, you know, they get another name, don't they? And they, you know, they, and they end up wherever they end up. But um, one's name is modified, or name added to a name, to indicate a significant stage of achievement. Apparently that's done, I haven't looked into it too much, but in Japan, the emperor, at different stages of his life, he's given extra names or new names to mark passageway of significance. But this marker was a marker to confirm God's promises. Sarah to Sarah, Abraham to Abraham, was to confirm God's promises and to, and to bolster and to assure their trust, but our trust, in him. Some have indicated that Sarah, Sarai, I mean Sarai, could have been indicated my princess, possessive, whereas Sarah simply indicated a princess, a rec recognised as princess of the nations, and not simply as Abraham's helpmate. Whereas Sarai could have been possessive to Abraham, Sarah is possessive to the whole of all the nations. But at any rate, four specific blessings are mentioned in verse 16 that God is going to pour out on Sarah in order to emphatically establish her place in the covenant. God reiterates these blessings. First of all, God says he will bless Sarah, that God will show Sarah his favour, that she's going to be the instrument by which God delivers his covenant promises to his through her descendants. It's not going to be Hagar, it's not going to be Ishmael, it's going to be through Sarah. That's how God is going to bring his promises through. That is how God is going to bless Sarah. And again, verse 16, Sarah is going to be a mother of nations. It's not just that Abraham is going to be a father of nations, Sarah is going to be the mother of nations. At the end of verse 16, she will be the mother of kings. If Abraham's going to be the father of kings, that's going to require in God's providence that Sarah will be the mother of kings because Sarah is the one that God has chosen to be the bearer of the seed of the covenant. And throughout his dealings with Abraham here, God shows a concern to strengthen his faith, to strengthen his assurances by repeating to him his promises. That's a wonderful way my friends, to be assured of the promises of God, to repeat God's promises. To repeat them. He's, he's promised to forgive. He's promised to give us eternal life. They are promises and they will take place. And this passage, this word of God to Abraham was given to shake him out of a rut in his thinking. And it's clear from Abraham's response in verses 17 and 18 that Abraham had resigned himself. He had completely resigned himself 
to not having a son of his own through Sarah. But he was still pushing for God's plan to be fulfilled through Ishmael. Not only had he resigned himself to that, he had gotten comfortable with it. He was emphatic that that is how God was going to do it. But so the Lord is specific that is not through Ishmael, but I have a grander plan, Abraham. Now we can understand Abraham's struggle of faith here. He's been waiting for a long time since God called him in Genesis 12 about the Ur of the Chaldeans. And he hadn't seen fruit of his marriage with Sarah. But God is reiterating to him, Abraham, I want you to understand explicitly the covenant is going to be fulfilled through Sarah. John J. Davis in his commentary says, Believers have often found themselves in the gulf between divine promise and personal experience. God's promise is clear, but circumstances do not seem to be leading to its fulfilment. Have you ever found yourself there? In that gulf between divine promise and personal experience? And a failure in these situations is not God's, but ours. And what is true of believers today was true of Abraham. That God had given him a great promise, but the events had raised such questions in his heart that he began to fear. And the Lord in his graciousness to Abraham continues to over and over and over again assure him of his promise. Because God is persistent in his quest for your assurance. God wants to assure you this morning. He wants to, he is persistent in his quest for your assurance. God knows that if our faith is not strong, our sanctification will not progress. And he knows that if in our assurance of the hope which is set before us, it's not as real as the chairs you're sitting in. We will give in to the contentments and the satisfactions of this world, rather than seek the things of God, which are eternal. But may, they, they may not seem as tangible to us today as the things that we might take delight in and partake of. So the Lord wants us to have the strongest assurance possible because it is necessary for us to grow in the walk of faith. So the Lord pursues Abraham that he might have assurance. Secondly, even saving faith has its struggles. In verses 17 and 18, we see Abraham's struggle to believe. We see the laughter of unbelief. Perhaps if you remember you know, reading or being taught the book of Genesis, in Genesis 18, and Sarah's laughter, that's, that's fairly commonly taught, has been the first indication of unbelief in the story of Genesis and Abraham and Isaac. But Abraham was the first to laugh at God's promises. Abraham was. Genesis 17. Even saving faith has its struggles. When God announces to Abraham that he's going to have a son by Sarah, Abraham finds it hilariously funny. His first reaction is incredulity. He just cannot believe it. It's unbelievable. He falls on his face and laughs. He laughs at God. What a ridiculous promise. You might as well say that there's a man on the moon. He cannot quite fathom it. 
You cannot take it in. This is not cynical laughter. Abraham wasn't part of heart. But Abraham had a hard time believing what God has said. You have a hard time believing what God has promised. Paul makes it clear in Romans 4 that Abraham didn't grow half-hearted. But his faith is struggling here when God gives him a specific, explicit promise. And this passage is really important for us when we realise how the father of faith and the father of the faithful struggle, I think it somehow helps us in our own fight of faith. Abraham wrestled to believe what God was promising. Why? Because what God was promising was so much better, so much bigger, so much grander than Abraham could have expected. Abraham's problem was that his view of God was too small. And God was saying, Abraham, Abraham, my plan is better than the plan that you decided I was going to fulfill. And you're going to need to adjust your sights in order to see the greatness of the grace that I have for you. Now Abraham explains to the Lord what the real desires of his heart are in verse 18. He prays to the Lord, O oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham is verbalising his desire that Ishmael would be the covenant bearer. And that Ishmael would walk before the face of God. Is it not interesting how we all become comfortable with our substitutes for God's plan for our lives? We like the idea of planning our own lives out and then simply asking God to put his rubber stamp on our vision. Now Abraham had done this before. In Genesis 15, when God had come to Abraham to reiterate his promises, Abraham had said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And the Lord said, No, your son is going to be your heir. So Abraham thought, Well, Ishmael would be his heir. And the Lord said to him, Time and time again, Abraham, I have something else in mind. We all become comfortable with our substitutes for God's plan. The life of faith is not without its struggles, even in the greatest of men. So we must learn to hang on to God's word and to trust him. To trust God, even in, despite all evidence to the contrary. Derek Kidner said, Abraham's laughter to judge by God's reply. And by Paul's words in Romans 4, 19 and following, was at first an incredulous reaction, real enough, as is shown by his gentle attempt to steer God into a more reasonable path. But he was open to correction. On such genuine struggles of faith, God is never hard. I thought of how God deals with Habakkuk. We were waiting for God to blast Habakkuk when he questions him. But Habakkuk's struggle was genuine. The genuine struggle of faith. This is Abraham's walk. And the Lord was generous. I thank the Lord for that. I think of the struggles of my own heart. But Abraham's doubt was wonderfully tempered by his faith and his love. And his prayer for Ishmael. Number three. God's grace exceeds our expectations. Verses 19 to 22. God tells Abraham about the covenant that he's going to establish through Isaac. And God gives Abraham the no of grace. I don't know about you, but I don't often think that no is the best answer to a prayer. You know, when you, when you 
fall on your face and you ask God to do something, I don't often think that no is going to be the greatest idea in the world, but precisely because God loves us, he gives us a no. Which is better than the yes that we desire. We see here a no grace. And we see that God's grace exceeds our expectations. In verses 19 to 22, the Lord comes back and speaks to Abraham, replying to Abraham's request. And Abraham's problem is he couldn't take in a blessing as great as the Lord had given him. His faith was struggling after years of waiting. So God reiterated his promises to Abraham. In verse 19, God says basically three things. I'm going to give you a son by Sarah. He makes it clear that Sarah's line is the, is the chosen line. And his name is going to be Isaac. Now hold that in the back of your mind because there's a play on words going there. Throughout this passage there are names like Ishmael and Isaac, which are basically their forms prayers. And Isaac is a prayer too. It could be translated, may God smile on you. May God smile on you. Hold that at the back of your mind. We'll come back to it in a moment. That's the first thing the Lord says. I'll give you a son by Sarah. Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son. You shall call his name Isaac. Secondly, God says, my covenant is going to be with him. This is the line through which the covenant will be extended. God will establish his covenant with Isaac. And then the covenant will be finally with his descendants. So those three things are reiterated. And this passage gives clear testimony to God's elected purposes. God chose Isaac to be the line of promise. And he passed by Ishmael. Ishmael was born first. He was first born in Abraham's household by legal right of primogenitor. You would have expected Ishmael to be the heir of, all, of Abraham by Abraham had. But again, in the book of Genesis, we see a younger son supplant the older son. It won't be the last time we see that in Genesis, because God chose Isaac. And he chooses those whom he, whom he will bring, his blessing and his promise. God chose his instruments. And in verses 19 and 20, he chose Isaac, not Ishmael, to be the line of the covenant. We should pray, shouldn't we? We should pray for what's happening in Israel today. Yeah. We should pray for that. Yeah. But I just read over the weekend, and it's hard not to be reminded of it in reading this passage about the battle between Isaac and Ishmael. Continues. But if you notice, if you will, the words in verse 20, he gives a blessing of Ishmael, but it is a secular blessing. That's for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. Look at the stipulations. I have blessed him. I will make him fruitful. I will multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes. I will make him into a great nation. They are real blessings. They are not curses. They are blessings. But they are not there's no indication of spiritual blessings. There is a blessing in Genesis very similar to this. It's a blessing that Isaac will give to one of his sons. 
temporal blessing is never a substitute for the spiritual favour of God. A real temporal blessing is given to Ishmael, but apparently without spiritual favour. All we know of Ishmael is that he did for the east of his brethren and in opposition to them. So the Lord blessed him temporarily, temporally. He didn't give him the covenant blessings that were given to Isaac. Abraham had prayed that the Lord would cause Ishmael to be the line of the promise and that Ishmael would walk before him. But the Lord gave him a mind-stretching answer and told him that he would have a son through Sarah called Isaac. Now let's go back to that name. Derek Kidner says the name Isaac is of a pattern common at the time. If Isaac meant may he smile upon him, to those who were in on the secret, it spoke of Abraham's love. The promise and the miracle that made his birth unique and the covenant predestined beyond all doubt. Now we can imagine again the word spreading around that Abraham was telling all the folks in his tent that he was going to have a son by Sarah. What are you going to call him, Abraham? I'm going to call him Isaac. And for everyone in the know, the immediate response would have been, well, that name means laughter. And it's absolutely laughable that a 90-year-old Sarah and a 100-year-old Abraham are going to have a child. I trust there's, I think there may be some in this room who are wondering about that promise now, but that is laughable. But God had the last laugh. And number four, saving faith displays itself in trust and obedience. In verses 23 to 27, we see Abraham's response. As unbelievable as it was, and as incredulous as Abraham was, Abraham was obedient. We see the obedience of Abraham's faith. We see the obedience that flows from faith. Abraham believed God's promises. He believed them. Even though he laughed, he believed them, so he did what God commanded. Saving faith always displays itself in trust and obedience. And the stress of this passage is that the men of every age and state some background and spiritual experience were gathered into the covenant. And Abraham acted immediately. He and Ishmael were circumcised on the same day. It was a brave action. It meant he was vulnerable. It meant danger. And there probably wasn't a lot of joy in the tent when he told them what he was going to do. They probably would have fared a bit wrongly, I would imagine. They wouldn't have had social media in those days, but you can imagine that would have caused quite a storm. There would have been some who were upset at this announcement. But Abraham is obedient to God. And God's command is sufficient to answer every circumstance of life. My dear friend, faith hears and faith obeys. Faith hears and obeys. Abraham heard, he believed, and he obeyed. Charles Alders, speculating on this passage, said, Naturally, we all wonder why God made Abraham wait so long. Undoubtedly, he wanted to reveal something to Abraham and to his people. They, but they must know, beyond all question and doubt, that God's promises are absolutely trustworthy. No matter how impossible the fulfilment of these promises might appear from human perspectives, God does the impossible and keeps his promises. 
Abraham's history reveals with unmistakable clarity that God's word is always trustworthy. God fulfills his promises, not because they're reasonable by human standards, but because God is God and his word is true and absolutely reliable. Now that is something we can take to the back. We can rest on that. That God fulfills his promises. Not because they're reasonable by human standards, but because God is God and his word is true and absolutely reliable. I don't know about you, but I need that. I absolutely need that. And I need to live by that. And I need to obey because of that. Because God will fulfill his promises. And it doesn't matter if they appear reasonable by human standards. But he is God. Almighty, invisible, almighty God. And his word is true. And it is absolutely reliable. And that is something that we all need to learn today. On the 16th of May 2021, just as much as Abraham did in Genesis 17. Our faith is under attack. Our faith is severely under attack. Have, have you seen the mockery that that guy who's been elected to the DUP leader in Northern Ireland, Edwin Pooks, the mockery that has poured on his head because he dared to believe you know, in creationism? He's absolutely he's mocked beyond derision by the BBC. You know, this guy, you know, he might as well have, you know, have two heads and a green head. But, but, but my friend, God is not what? His word is true. He is God. He's absolutely reliable. And we can trust in him. And we can take that to the bank. But we can have peace and assurance. Because God is God. And we are not. May God bless the word for his glory. But for our eternal good.